This is the Working Drummer Podcast, featuring conversations with ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, welcome to Working Drummer Podcast. I'm Zach Albetta, and this week I'm talking again with Davide Dorenzo. Davide is a Toronto-based drummer with an impressive list of recording and touring credits. I talked with him for the first time about a month ago, and it was a memorable conversation because it's centered around relationships, social media, and what it really means to be present both in your personal life and behind the drums. If you haven't checked that out yet, I highly recommend doing so. But because we went in on all that stuff, we hardly talked at all about drums and music, so I wanted to get back with him to cover some of that. We have tons of Patreon content for you to check out, and you can get access to all of it for a buck a month. Go to patreon.com slash working drummer for video lessons, transcriptions, and bonus interview content from our former guests. Once again, a donation of $1 a month gets you access to everything at patreon.com slash working drummer. Davide was just as insightful about the art and craft of drumming and the process of making music with other humans as he was about everything else we talked about last month. So here we go. Hope you dig round two with Davide Dorenzo. Spend it all the half nights. Monday, we make it. For we see you take it. see you good man you too you too man thanks for doing this again i'm honored I'm, i can't believe it actually it's like uh man it's only what three weeks ago maybe or about that uh yeah i guess it, it the episode went up about three weeks ago you and i talked maybe a month ago okay um but uh but you know, I, I I knew coming away from that interview that I wanted to talk to you again, uh, just because you're you're a joy to talk to, but also because we didn't really get to you know talk about drums <laughs> very it's, it's, much. So this is totally cool we, too, right? To we were see going it. we were going on and on about uh, you know social media and being present and relationships and all this yeah. all this thinky feely shit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, it's all related. So yeah, let's let's get it totally totally. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let's get into some drums. Um, I, okay. I just want to start with uh, hearing about um, what you've been recording at home lately and um, what sort of uh, sounds and tones and, and vibes you've been chasing at your home studio there. You know, it's it's been such a wide variety, to be honest with you, Zach. Like, um, I'm... Uh... I just got a call from a gentleman named Michael uh, Boguski. Um, he plays in a band called Blue Rodeo, and they're a, uh, you know, quite a well-known band here in Canada. I know they've they tour the states quite a bit as well, but um, it's sort of one of his side projects. Um, so uh, 
uh, that that's got sort of you know the track that he sent me is a little bit more ethereal and i'm, I'm you know i'm going to get on it either this evening or tomorrow uh you know a few days ago i was working with a, a gentleman named justin avidan who's a producer uh the music was more um sort of pop driven so it, mm-hmm. it it's I, I mean again it's right across the board it, it's it and and you know i've had um you know, uh, a pretty pretty good run over the last number of years uh, with regards to home recording, and I've I've, I've loved every second of it. I, I keep learning. It, I never stop. And you know, it's the bottomless pit of uh, purchasing yeah. re- recording equipment as well. It never. It's like almost worse yeah. than buying drums. You know, it's t- it totally is, man. And yeah. and like I, I think most most drummers who uh, record themselves uh, to any extent can relate to the feeling that I had and that you probably had when you first started doing this, it was like, well, here, this is a never ending fucking journey of knowledge and gear. That <laughs> Yes. And and then you get on the forums, right? Like you start, you start, uh, <laughs> Oh, well, what does this person think of, you know, this Neve strip and, uh, and Oh, what if we compared, you know, it's like the versus thing, like this, this, you know, new versus old, like reissues versus it's, it's, it's 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 crazy making actually but yeah but you know it sure beats uh you know having uh you know maybe a drug a drug problem and, and bless those people <laughs> that are you know truly bless those people that are dealing with with those issues uh, uh you know but um it, you know it definitely is uh oh it's 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 been my um what's the word it's it's been my one of my drugs let's just say like yeah of, of choice yeah. for the last little while I love when it. did you start when did you start recording yourself so i played in this band called jack soul many 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 years ago um a dear friend of mine who no longer is with us um he was the the singer and, and the leader and sort of the face of the band not sort of he was the face of the band his name was hayden neal jack soul was the name of the band uh one of the most brilliant musicians, uh, singers I've ever met and became a very, very dear friend of mine. Uh, we started the band basically when I was in high school, like uh, I had maybe a couple of years left in high school. He was in first year university uh, and mm-hmm. we met through a mutual friend. Um, and uh, again, that, that sort of, I'm giving you sort of the, the Coles Notes version. Uh, fast forward after I moved back from Los Angeles, uh, I sort of reintegrated myself in Canada and especially in Toronto and we reconnected and uh, started working together again. And, and, and he said, have you thought of buying a computer and a couple of microphones and recording? Uh, yeah. I was like, so he was the first guy to, you know, encourage me to sing, sing background vocals while I played drums, which it was him. Uh, it mm-hmm. was him that encouraged me to start writing. It was him that st- encouraged me to um, to uh, build a studio. And so this, if you're talking how long ago that would have been, um, w- what year are we? <laughs> uh, it would have been, jeez, uh, like, would it be fair to say over 20 years ago, easily over 20 years ago. Yeah. So I've been accumulating gear and knowledge uh at least since then and and even before then i was always intrigued by the studio so i was always the guy uh 
Like I wasn't the guy when 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 whoever was the engineer setting up the mics, I wasn't the yeah. guy go, going to the lounge, you know, uh, and you know farting around. I was I was the guy mm-hmm. going, hey, uh, what kind of mic is that? Oh, it's a Cole right. forty thirty eight. Um, it's a ribbon mic. Oh, what's a ribbon mic? Oh, we're going to use these as you know overheads. We're going to use this. As, as as your uh, room mics or uh what's this this is a u47 fet i would put this right in front of the bass drum just wait to hear it you know like <laughs> I, I was very inquisitive and and um it, it, became, it came naturally to me like it was not um it was definitely not forced i was very very interested right from the get-go Right. So you were, I mean, you know, now, especially after COVID, it's it's fairly commonplace for drummers to have at least some capability to record yeah. themselves at home. Yeah. But you you were you were amassing this this gear and this knowledge and this capability long before that. Um I I think so, probably. I yeah, I, I um yeah, yeah. Um it's it's been a really amazing experience and when i speak to other musicians that play drums um you know we we speak about their setup and um and inevitably what ends up happening is that like we've just all become you know more knowledgeable more sensitive um so when we do go into a studio environment um you know it feels like we're a part of the process i mean uh you know without obviously stepping on the engineer's toes um but um, you know, maybe maybe when you're when you're hitting the drums as well, because you've done so much uh, work at home, you see the levels and and you're hitting the snare drum, for instance, and it's it's exploding. You're like, oh, maybe I maybe I should just dial it back a little bit. What would that sound like? You, you know, you're mm-hmm. constantly learning about the the sensitivities of 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 the studio environment, and so it's all good as they say this is all important information you know yeah, yeah. you're uh, you're touching on a, a theme that's come up quite a bit recently which is um you know the the fact that so many drummers have at least a little bit of audio chops now yeah and it it opens up the possibility for us to be in dialogue with audio engineers whether yeah. it's in a recording session or on a live gig um can you talk a little bit about about you know that dialogue and that partnership that that you've been able to create with uh, with audio engineers? So, um, I would love to. Uh, you know, besides the fact of, of you know tr- trying to learn this stuff sort of on your own and maybe going online and checking some stuff out on YouTube, um, I've also been very fortunate in in uh, the relationships that I've cultivated over the years with engineers and um um this is the interesting thing about engineers that i've learned is they're as open to sharing knowledge as drummers are you know what i mean there's uh, there's this thing that that that's um uh, there's this connection and and uh and it's interesting how many engineers are drummers as well, yeah. But yeah, I, yeah. that I've also learned, you know. So um, there's an instant connection. So I have sort of like this group of uh, friends that are uh, wonderful engineers. Um, that if I'm in trouble, I'll call them and uh, you know ask for uh, for help. And what was your question? 
<laughs> well, just asking uh, asking about the the ways in which you've sort of created partnership and dialogue. Um, you know, bringing bringing what you know about drums and recording drums, and right. and you know, an audio engineer bringing what they know about mics and boards and and their entire universe. It's about language at the end of the day, right? It's about learning a, la a new language. Sorry, this is mm. I, I I got off track because I was I was I was thinking about all these wonderful relationships that I have with these wonderful people, and yeah. um, uh, they've taught me a lot about the language. So I've learned a, a little bit more about the language. I don't. I don't. I'll, I'll never know the entire uh, um, breadth of this language because it just gets deeper and deeper. But um, but I'm constantly asking questions. And so, for instance, if I'm playing live, uh, I might say to the um, monitor engineer, or or if let's just say, mm, yeah, or even the front of house, and I'll go, do you have a do you have a gate on my kick drum? Can mm -hmm. you take? Do you mind taking the gate? Because I, <laughs> I I like to play with some dynamics, so sometimes my kick drum's not going to be as loud, right? Like they'll set the, you know what I'm saying, right. right? Yeah, yeah. And so I'll nicely say, hey, do you mind maybe either dialing it back a little bit or maybe just completely taking that out, you know? Because right, you, right. you can feel it. So the, these are conversations that maybe I wouldn't have been able to have, you know, Um uh, if I'm singing, I'm maybe I'm just ask, you know, I, I sort of know now what to ask for, maybe a little bit more level or can you, uh, I've just become a lot more sensitive about things that are not necessarily related around uh, a snare drum, a hi-hat, a rack tom, a floor tom and a kick drum. Like, um, I'm saying, Hey, can you bring this up a little bit? Can you bring that up? And then it's, I, I'm able to sort of get to the place I want to be mix wise a little earlier than I would have been pre-knowledge right right that, that, that kind um, of makes sense yeah yeah and it, it's interesting what you say about the um uh like the language of it uh because i think you know a lot of a lot of drummers uh find the the tech intimidating and inaccessible <laughs> at yeah, first yeah um and but what goes along with that is is the language and and you know audio people just use this um vocabulary uh, yeah. about what they do. And if you, if you learn some of that vocabulary, like you said, if you, if you know, a, what a gate is yeah. <laughs> and yeah. B what it sounds like, yeah. just that little bit of knowledge will help. You know, you don't even have to know how to use a gate really like if in a recording session, but yeah. if you know what it is. Um, and yeah, so I've, I've found that, um, like in addition to, in addition to picking up knowledge about, you know, the actual process of recording, just like keeping your ears open for the lingo. And if like, if you can arm yourself with some of the lingo and then come to an audio engineer with a little bit of the lingo, they'll be like, Oh, he, okay. So he knows a little bit. I can sure. talk to this guy. He's not some full of shit, you know, just asking for whatever. <laughs> you know, it's very interesting. You're, you're inspiring all this stuff. Uh, uh, bringing back a lot of sort of memories as well, and and also sort of bringing this to this sort sort of like a place where you know at the end of the day we're all human, right? And we're all here mm. to learn stuff. There's not one person on this planet that knows everything. It's impossible. Now, here's the difference, as far as I'm concerned. You walk into a room and you pretend like you know what's going on and guess what's going to happen right like you hey can you blah 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 and blah 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 and you start making up words or you, you or you you're basically 
you're 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 being a little bit of a jive jive ass mofo, yeah. right? Like you're and, right. and people people smell it from miles away. However, if you walk into the room and you say, Hey guys, listen, I wanna know more about this. I don't know what's going on, but I think they call it compression. Do you have compression on my drums? Is there something uh, something feels a little weird? If you come at it with this honest, this honesty, and I'm sorry, I don't know. Can somebody please help me? I right. guarantee, I guarantee you, somebody will. Even the tightest ass tech. That that was like this person knows nothing. Therefore, I shall not speak with them. You know, uh, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Right. They even I guarantee even they will say, "Hey, cool. Um, uh, you broke the ice. I get it. You don't really know the. Line. I get it. I'm here to help." In right. Instead of the, you know, the earlier approach, which is it never goes well. Yeah, 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 yeah. And coming coming to them with um. It, like if, like you said, if you don't know what you're hearing, but you know you don't like it. Like if if you can if you can come to them with this spirit of like, I I I don't know what I need to tell you, but tell me what you're doing. So that <laughs> yeah, because something is not something doesn't feel comfy. Instead of saying, um, my headphones sound like shit. Right. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. That you're you're behind the eight ball. Like, yeah, you know, right. There's, there are different ways. My father always used to say there are different ways to express what you need to express. There are different ways you can come at it this way. Mm -hmm. You can come at it that way. You can come at it. But at the end of the day, if you come at it with honesty and respect, mm -hmm. it's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing what kind of results flower in front of you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when I was at your place, um, I, I saw the space you record in, um, and if I'm not, if, if, if I'm not mistaken, it, it's kind of like a finished basement yeah. space. It did it, did it used to be sort of a TV den or is it still that sometimes or? Okay. So prior to COVID, it was a studio. Like I had, you know, baffling everywhere. I, you know, it was a dedicated recording studio. Uh, mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> the walls were all treated, uh, uh, um, uh, used like, like, uh, I can't even remember what, what the, uh, it's called Sono pan. I think Sono pan was the, this kind of green insulation that's inside the walls and the ceiling. Like it's actually, a pretty great little room. Um, mm -hmm. Then COVID happened. And uh, ju just before COVID happened, you know, um, Danielle and I, I think we're, we had three kids. We were about to have our fourth child. And, mm -hmm. and I was like, you know, the house is starting to feel a little small. The kids deserve a little bit of a rec room. So maybe there's a way that I can tear down the studio maybe not make it into such a dedicated space. I, I felt a little guilty having it, to be honest with you. So I thought, you know, uh, share the space. So I took yeah. all, the, I took all the baffles down. I gave some stuff away to, to friends that were, they're like, yeah, they're showing up with, you know, mini vans. And I'm like <laughs> sho shoving these like gobos, massive gobos in there. Um, wow. and, it, and it was, um, all good. <clears throat> and then, and then COVID happened. And then the phone, like, you know, emails and, uh, 
phone calls and get, do you, are you still recording? Because people knew right. that I had this. Are you still recording? And it, it is, it has never been busier because especially wow. during yeah. that, especially during that. So then I was like, what the hell do I do? So, right. so, so I have this, I have this way of tearing down, you know, 14 microphones, tucking them away. And then, and then you have this nice room where there's a television there and, and the kids can watch movies if they want, or if they want to play, they have a whole bunch of games tucked away. And so that's, that's kind of what happened. And that's right. I mean, the dream we're hoping to build a little laneway house in, in Toronto. You can build these, they're almost like carriage houses. So mm -hmm. you can, you can build a, so yeah, the dream was to build a, a laneway house back here with a with my own little studio and then have a two bedroom apartment that we could rent. And that's still on the table where we would have, you know, I'd have 12 foot ceilings. Like we already, yeah. we have all the drawings and everything's already done, but we didn't, we didn't take things to the next next level re with regards to the building process. So all the, right. all, you know, all the drawings have been uh, sort of established, and, and but we, we, you know, so uh, we, we just have we haven't committed yet. was there um you and i were talking about you know the 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 type of recording that you do at home and that i think a lot of drummers do which is basically like you're you're capturing sound and yeah. sending it off to yeah. someone who mixes for a living most of the time right yeah yeah um as opposed to uh you know a, a dan bailey or an aaron sterling who sort of uh becomes known for their own signature uh sort of drum mixes mm -hmm. um we talk all the time about getting it right at the source and capturing a raw sound mm -hmm. that is as close to what you ultimately want as possible mm -hmm. um what has been your your journey in that regard i you know i've learned about um, tuning, how important tuning is. Mm -hmm. So I, I sort of make a point to tune my drums to the key of the song. Mm -hmm. So I'll usually, you know, it's usually root fifth is what I usually work with. They're usually pretty safe, but depending on the song, it could be, you know, I could be using other sort of intervals with um, the rack and the floor. I'm usually, you know, one rack, one floor, snare, kick, a couple of cymbals. But depending, again, on, on the style. Um, so mic placement, tuning. Um, I mean, that's the whole game right there. <laughs> I think, I think uh, that's what I I've mean, the room. Well, the room, the room is huge, too. So, like, it's, it's, it's. Yeah. Uh, again it depends on okay for instance if it's a if it's like uh they want a 70s tight sound well i'll i'll dress the drums accordingly like i'll put maybe towels on them or uh you know and i'll and i'll i'll bring my makeshift gobos very close to the drums so i have a a closer smaller room feel uh, yeah. If it's more of an open sound, then I'll I'll get rid of them and I'll 
put some nice room mics up uh, in the corners of the room and and I get those kind of sounds but it's it's all about experimentation with mic placement and um, how you hit the drums and how you tune them yeah yeah uh, you mentioned YouTube earlier and you know there's there's just an endless uh, pit on <laughs> of, yeah. of videos on YouTube about um, about mic placement and about all these different techniques um, and some of them <clears throat> You know, some of them can be useful as guidelines, uh, but like you said, it's 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 about experimentation using your mics in your room with mm. your drums and your drumming. Um, like every you know, every combination of those things is totally different, and what you see on YouTube is not necessarily going to work at all for you in in your situation. Um, so, like. How are you still experimenting? I mean, in, in order to sort of get started and get a base of knowledge from which to work, like you have to spend a lot of time experimenting and just learning your shit. So to what extent are you still sort of experimenting with your setup? You know, uh, um, it could be, you know, using different drums. It could be... Um, uh, using different mics on sources that you've like, you know, like, uh, I, you know, for the longest time, I thought the only snare drum mic was the SM57, right? <laughs> right. I said, like, well, that's, that's the mic that I saw 90% of the time was a 57, right. you know? Uh, oh, but you got to get the Unidyne because the Unidyne sounds way different than the, than the, <laughs> right. than the, the more current, the more current, uh, you know, 57. You know, like right. this is this is how crazy. I mean, I've I've you know gone down the rabbit hole many times, but um, um, yeah, like uh, you know, try a KM eighty four, try a a, a Josephson E twenty two S, which is a, a great snare mic. Um, uh, it just combinations of different microphones is an example. Um, right. Um, well, I guess I guess yeah. what I'm getting at is like, yes. have have you discovered? Um, you know, formulas that that you turn to very often, or um, is it? Are are you still sort of just throwing shit out there to see what happens? Well, you know, I normally stick to. It's very funny because you know, I tear down, I tear down my down my studio, and then I put it back up again. Inevitably, it's not going to be the same. The, you right. know, it's it's just not. Your drums are going to be maybe in a different place. Uh, your overheads, for instance, like so, it's always going to be a little bit different. But to answer your question, there is a method that I that I've been liking in the last year or so that I sort of default to. But mm -hmm. if I feel like if I feel like I'm not really getting the result, like if I'm listening to the playback and I'm going. Uh, something's not right. Like the kick, uh, something's weird about the kick drum, or you know, I I might I may do some changes, or the overheads feel a little bit. They don't feel close enough, or they don't. It doesn't. I don't feel like I'm getting enough air, or whatever. I'll I'll make some changes, but minimal, you know, because you do yeah, get to yeah. a place where you do get to a place where things start feeling very comfy too. So yeah. Right. Yeah. What is the general approach that you've okay. been turning to? Okay. So usually, um, it okay. I, well, I, I'm, I'm thinking about a. I usually use like a KM84s, like Neumann KM84s mm -hmm. as my uh, you know small condenser uh, overheads. But then I'll put like a 
like an SF24, uh, a Royer SF24 stereo ribbon in the middle, sort of mm-hmm. just over the bass drum. And then I'll put another ribbon. I usually put my 44, I have a RCA 44BX that I bought for nothing many years ago. Mm-hmm. That's now worth, I don't know how much. Again, these are microphones that I, I bought a long time ago. But um, that one, for instance, uh, I'll put sort of, you know, in front of the bass drum. We're talking about positioning, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love ribbon mics. I love ribbon mics, and I love. I do too. I, I love condensers as well, though, right? So combination. Um, so yeah, the, the forty-four is usually if you're facing the drum set, it's it's kind of just over the bass drum, kind of facing the snare drum between the rack and the floor. Mm-hmm. At about. Just above waist height. Yeah, that that makes mm-hmm. sense, and so that gives me sort of like an interesting perspective of the drum set. You know, with that, with that, with that focus, um, then I'll put I'll put um, a pair of my forty thirty eights, my uh, Coles forty thirty eights. I'll put them about yeah. six or seven feet. Um sort of as a, 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 a room uh, pair. Uh, yeah. And, and I'll, I'll measure them to the center of the snare drum. So it's anywhere mm-hmm. between six and seven feet. And I get a very nice stereo image there. Yeah. Sometimes I'll, and they're about, they're also about waist high. Sometimes I'll put them, you know, less than a foot off the ground and I get a really interesting um picture as well you know uh yeah so i like to experiment with those a little bit more uh and then i might put like a mono uh 87 like uh as a room mic yeah hi hat i have another cam 84 and with the snare drum sometimes i'll i'll have like a combination of uh, an sm57 and uh, an 84 or i'll do um uh, and eat, I'll do the Josephson, um, really depending, like if, if I need more sort of detail, the Josephson brings out those details a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. If you're doing like brushy stuff. Yeah. Um, and then for underneath, sometimes I'll, uh, under the snare drum or side, I like to mic the side of the snare drum a lot too. I'll use like a Peloso or Peluso, Peluso 84 knockoff kind of, um, which is a great mic, uh, or I'll use a 414, like an EB uh, 14. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Or 414 and 8 AKG. Yeah. That kind of thing. Oh, and rack, so, rack and floor. I use 421s or, uh, or I'll use my U87s on my, on my rack and floor. Depends. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So there's a couple of things I want to unpack. First of all, yeah. you're using, uh, you're, you're not relying very heavily. It doesn't sound like on close mics at all. Like you're capturing, full kit sounds from a number of different perspectives. Um, and, uh, and the other thing I'm curious about is, is, uh, miking the snare shell. That's something that I want to experiment with more. It's really, it's really intriguing. I I become addicted to it in a lot of ways because I, um, you know, again, this is like, you know, you know, going to studios and, and, and seeing how engineers do it as well. And I'm like, Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to try that. And I take a lot of pictures with my phone, right? I'm just bang, 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 taking pictures of like, you know, <laughs> a, a distance or, 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 you know, where it's kind of located, blah, blah, blah. 
uh, or what mics you're using. I forgot to mention I use a, a U47 FET outside the kick drum, and then I either use a, an RE20 for the inside of the bass drum, or I use a Sennheiser uh, 902, I think is what it's called. Um, yeah. Or I have a Bayer Dynamic M88 that I'll use sometime. Um, so I've got a few options for the the inside bass drum, but the outside bass drums—that's what I like, um, like to use. The side of the snare drum, I'll use a condenser mic on the side of the snare drum mm-hmm. most of the time. Um, I'd la- I have an SM7 that I should probably check out because I think yeah. what ends up what ends up happening with the condenser is that I get a lot of bleed from the hi hat, but mm-hmm. but but. The combination of your top snare mic and the side snare, it's really, it's actually incredible. If you can dial it up, you can actually get the, you know, you make sure that they're out of phase and stuff. Or, or, uh, 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 does that make sense? Make sure they're in phase. In phase. They're in phase is what I meant. Make sure they're <laughs> yeah, in yeah. phase, not out of phase. Although there are engineers that swear by recording with out of, out of phase elements and they get results that they love. Uh, yeah, and why, this is the thing confused. about recording. Like, you know, you, you, you get hip to these quote unquote rules and, yeah, and yeah. you know, shit that you must do, shit yes. that good recordings are made of. And then you hear about someone who's just ignoring it completely. Well, and, Sean, and Sean Everett. Amazing re- <laughs> Sean, Sean Everett is a great example. Um, um, I can't remember the name of the band. Um, uh, I don't remember what they're. Uh, he Alabama Shakes. I, I oh think he, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, he he produced and engineered uh, a couple of their records that I think won Grammys. Uh, mm-hmm. But he talks about the drums being out of phase. Like I think the kick, and he loved the sound of it, so he kept it. You know. Yeah. So yeah, um, uh, but yeah. Anyway, going back to the snare drum thing, I just uh, it's a different vibe, and it's pretty incredible. Actually, yeah, yeah. Check it out. Um, cool. And am, am I am I correct in sort of assessing that you're not relying too heavily on close mics? Or I think I think to be honest, I try to do a combination. To be honest, Zach, like yeah, I, I like uh, you know I think there's a good amount of room mics as well as close mics as well. So I think it's it's kind of fifty fifty to be honest. This is what I provide for people. They can take. Right. Like for me, honestly, Zach, some of my most favorite recordings or results are when I'm using two mics, you know, three mics. Yeah. And I'm going, yeah. damn, there it is, you know. <laughs> and, you're, and, you, and you don't necessarily have to deal with phasing. You don't have to, des- you know. And we talked about this, or I'm not sure if we talked about this, but it's um, it's something that I do talk about a lot is how we've spent all our lives as musicians playing drums to mix ourselves Mm -hmm. you spend all your life learning how to kind of you know control this part to make sure that this speaks when it's supposed to speak and this part speaks when it's supposed to speak and you know everything even hitting cymbals like if you go you know law diminishing returns but if you go you get a nice yeah decay and a nice sound and so this is stuff that you learn after years and years and years of playing and so going back to the recording topic here 
it's really interesting when you close mic at the end of the day if somebody's mixing it they're actually in control of of how yeah. of how you're playing and, and it's a very right. strange it's, this is a very interesting conversation we can get into as well because i do have opinions about that well but, it's almost like you can by by using fewer mics by giving the engineer or the mixer fewer options you're uh you're assuming more control over over what the drum sounds can ultimately be because if you give them endless options with close mics who knows what they're going to do with them it could be great it could suck but if you give them two mics i know and mix yourself as you play like you said mm -hmm. i i think that that gives you more control and more say yes however at the end of the day they're hiring you so right, right. so so you know <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I hear what you're saying, and I, and I totally agree with you. But at the end of the day, for me, at least my experience is as soon as I press send, as soon as I, as soon as those files leave my computer and they go somewhere else, yeah. I'm no longer in control over any of it, whether, right, right. you know, so, um, but I hear what you're saying, like, and I do agree that. it kind of defeats the purpose of all of those years of playing. Like if somebody, if, if an engineer were to come in and sit down and actually listen, headphones off, but just listen to you play. Yes. They would really get a, a deep appreciation for, well, either an appreciation or, or, or they would be in a lot of pain. I mean, it depends. Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, they would, I, I would go, oh man, I dig this, or, or oh, I, don't, I don't, I'm not sure I hear what's going on. I mean, Jay Belrose is a really great example of somebody, if you, if you were to sit in front of him and listen to him play, you really appreciate how much Brian Blade is another great example, how, how they've mastered, uh, how they mix themselves how they yeah. act how the how the drums sting in relationship to each other peter erskine is another great, yeah. exa great example in my humble opinion um i mean there are many uh, sorry there are many I'm, this is three that just kind of came to mind but yeah uh, i mean i think you know all all great drummers mix themselves on the kit um mm -hmm. and you know regardless of genre regardless of their their playing style like I think, you know, any, any great drummer has spent enough time just playing the drum set in an acoustic way and using their own ears to mix themselves and put out a drum set sound, a unified, mixed, balanced drum set sound that could be captured with one mic. Um, and I think the, mo like, it, it, it also goes back to what we were talking about, um, with, you know, just creating a dialogue with the engineer yep. because I would imagine, you know, like we've, we've done, we've all done recording jobs where, um, they wanted as many tracks as possible. They wanted every voice on the kit individually mic'd. And in that case, you're like, okay, yeah, I'll haul out all the mics. Here's all the shit. Yeah. But if you sometimes you can create a dialogue with them where you're you say like I'm I'm kind of feeling like a minimal miking situation maybe two or three or four like here's how I want to capture this is that something you want to work with and if they agree or if they trust you then they can sort of uh, give you their blessing to <laughs> to yeah. uh, embark on that on that uh, goal. It's it's interesting, Zach. You know. Um, 
I think it all comes back to what we've said. You know, every situation is super unique. And, yeah. um, um, you know, there have been times when I've actually had those conversations. I was like, you know, I actually hear, I hear something very minimal here. Um, would you be open to that? And there have been two different answers. At one point, someone said, you know what? Uh, um, I'm actually, I'm actually, um, uh, throwing this over to this mix engineer and they're going to want some options or mm-hmm. I'm actually mixing it myself and the, I don't need so many variables and thank you. I'd appreciate that. Yes. Just capture what yeah. you need to capture. I trust what you're going to do. Um, so it, it depends. It, it depends, 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 depends. inspired something else in my mind and if you don't mind uh you know talking about what we're hearing and what we're yeah outputting right you know i i often think about the invention of in-ears in-ear monitors and when i was Mm -hmm. many many years ago when i started playing with not started playing with jazz before this was after i was playing with jack soul um you know, the our manager came up to us and said, "You know, um, we're we're going to have you all in in ears. Forget all this noise on stage; it's causing too much feedback, and it's a, a drag to carry all this equipment." Um, you know, at the time, to- at the time, uh, there were these um, <laughs> there were these uh, guitar simulator, like amplifier simulators, called the Pod, mm-hmm. uh, and and they had a bass pod and they had a guitar. The guitar pod was red in color, and the bass pod was like dark. Like charcoal gray or something, you know uh-huh. so so everybody had graduated to these little things and they got rid of their amps and i i was on these in-ears like these sure in-ears like the spongy little like they weren't yeah, the, yeah. the molds so i was there sort of near the beginning of when it all sort of started having the transition and all of the tech technical advancements that have happened since that time over 20 years ago easily i have to say zach I still struggle with hmm. getting with getting the mix that makes me feel super comfortable. My most favorite musical experiences is when I take these off and I can listen to everybody. I can hear like is, if we're playing even a big theater, or I, I'm always into like uh, the band being as close as possible. That's not usually yeah, that's me not, too. That's not that's not always uh, a reality, but in that would be my most ideal situation is for us to be very close knit, uh, clo- uh, close in, uh, uh, in proximity, and we can hear everybody. I got a little, maybe a little, I got a monitor. I can dial in stuff or whatever. But really, when I'm playing my ride symbol, I I can really hear it. As opposed to having somebody side stage talking to me, going, uh, 
uh, David, are you cool? Uh, and I, I speak and I'm like, can you give me a little bit more snare or can you give me a little more kick? Yeah. It never feels natural. It, I don't know yeah. if it ever, maybe it will, Zach. Maybe, maybe the technology will just get that much better. But so far, man, it, it's, it's been a, and I've done a lot of in-ear gigs like Canadian Idol. I did it for four years. Like, I had to because there was a click going on and, you know, yeah. like all yeah. this stuff. It's, it's anyway, it's a great point you bring up and, and I'm, I'm trying to process how I feel about it as you're talking about it. Um, but it makes me realize like, you know, with, with in-ears, you're like, you've, you've spent, like you said, you've spent all these years learning how to mix yourself and getting used to how your playing sounds to you, to your yeah. ears. Right. Yeah. And then when you put these inner monitors in, you're only hearing the mics. Right. And so now you're completely at the mercy of a, the mics and B the other human controlling the mics. So this dialogue that we've talked about becomes even more important because you know the dialogue that you're having with your monitor mixer it's it's like you're you're trying to recreate what your ears are used to hearing acoustically and whether from a tonal perspective or just a levels perspective that can be really fucking hard um and if you're not you know if if it's it it takes a lot of getting used to i guess um and and like you said maybe the technology i think you know they're putting like 24 fucking drivers in, in your monitors these days. I don't know how much more advanced it can get. Um, but maybe I think there, there might always be that, that fence between just how the drums sound to your ears in the room and, you know, that air moving and what you're going to experience with, with in your monitors. Yeah. Uh, the in-ear monitors, for instance, like they're they're like earplugs in a lot of ways too, right? They, they yeah, are like, and that's one of the main reasons a lot of people use them. I think. Well, so okay, so here's the positive side, right? There's no, there's little fatigue at the end of the night. At the end of the night, you're mm -hmm. not you're not as exhausted from 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 what's coming out of your speaker, right? Which is yeah, completely understandable. Yeah. And, and a lot of the, you know the generation before us. Um, you know, guys like Tommy Lee had these <laughs> huge speakers on either yeah, side, blowing, blowing at them. You know, like, uh, and it's no wonder they probably have you know um, hearing loss. And and I and I get it. And and uh, what a drag that would be. Um, so thankfully, um, in your monitors uh, have saved a lot of people's hearing. Um, mm -hmm. But it it doesn't take away from like you know what happens with me at least is when I'm playing, I'm going. It feels like I'm hitting the snare drum way harder than I normally do, or mm -hmm. or or I'm going I'm hitting a crash or something like that, and and the monitor engineer doesn't really have the overheads dialed in as much as they should. Right. So so in or, you know what I mean. So in order to compensate, I'm hitting it hard, which is like not me, right? It doesn't feel right. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, it's, an, it's another great point you bring up is like you're, you know, what you're used to hearing is very much connected to what you're used to feeling. And I, th I think if you're if you're in tune with how your body feels normally playing drums, like if you feel something is off physically, like I'm 
I'm beating the shit out of the snare drum and I don't know why, like that physical sensation could be a clue that like, oh, it's just, it's not turned up enough. I need him to, <laughs> you know. You, you know, but, but, but I mean, like, again, it's like, okay, when you talk about control, right? Um, you know, I know a lot of drummers that'll have their own mixer side stage as well. And they'll, they'll mix themselves and stuff. Right. Fine. fine. I, I understand that as well. I don't have that. I have that with one act that I, that I work with, but it still doesn't. Sorry, man. It just doesn't, it doesn't, it still doesn't cut it. It doesn't like when I go pop and I take them out and I'm just going, I go, Oh, there it is. There's yeah. my, there's my relationship. There are my buddies. Here we are. Yeah. We're having it. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, 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 it instantaneous. Wow, you know, everything. Yeah. It's feeling, good, hearing, feeling, vibrating. Yes. Yeah, man. It's, I had I I had that experience um, the first time. So, like, I've been on this tour for over a year now, and it's you know, it's it's completely isolated. I'm in this ISO booth. I'm on in ear monitors, and you know, so th I did the first leg of this tour, and I came home. Um, and I went into my studio and I sat down on my Sakai drums with no in-ears and no earplugs. And I just started playing and I was like, holy shit. Well, <laughs> it's beautiful. You know, isn't it? and, yeah. Yeah. And the, like the ears I have are fucking awesome. And the drums I have and the mics, like they sound amazing. Like it is, it is, uh, you know, I'm not using dog shit out here. It's like, it's top of the line gear. And I still came home in my little room and was just like, fuck, this is what it, this, I, like you said, these, this, these are my buddies. This is what it's supposed to feel yeah. like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's actually pretty simple. Right. But the point here is that, well, I mean, really sorry about our, you know, sorry about your luck. I mean, it, 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 the reality is that, <laughs> you know, really, so, I mean, we, we can talk about, I mean, we can talk about this and I think we can all, a lot of us can agree on it. Um, but we, it's just, it's, for, for me, that's one of the biggest challenges of performing live in bigger venues uh, or in a situation where I need to be on click or, uh, you know, um, it's hard to wrap my head around. It's funny because being in a studio environment is kind of like that. You have your headphones, you have somebody that's yeah. dialing, but there's something different about being in a studio. There's, there's not an audience. You're not performing live. There's, there are many different elements. You know, you talk about right. air, right? There's, there's, right. Uh, it, it's a different experience. Somehow, I guess over the years I've been able to differentiate the experience of being in a studio to try and, get what it is that I I need to get as opposed to the experience of playing live. Mm -hmm. You know, like I just, I played this jazz club last week and uh, man, Zach, like, you know, the ride symbol's right there. Woo! You know, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not hitting it too hard. I'm hitting it. I'm like, I mean, Oh, that's nice. That's a nice volume right there. I can, I yeah, can hear yeah. the, I can hear the piano solo pianos right there. I can hear the piano comping. Nice. Beautiful. Uh, rack Tom right there. Beautiful. Boom. Uh, you know, everything is right. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's, yeah. there, there are no mics and I, I, I'm hearing like, uh, some amplification, some, you know, uh, is a dream. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but not, you know, you mentioned hearing loss, like not not a lot of gigs are quiet enough to do that. Like even if you're not using in-ear monitors, um, 
you know, if you just have the old school kind of wedge situation, at least for me, like it, 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 it doesn't, it doesn't take much for that threshold to be reached where it's like, okay, I got to put earplugs in. Um, and it's not, it's not usually, it's not usually about the stage volume. Sometimes it is, but it's like, if I, you know, if I lay into a crash symbol that's right in front of my face, like I feel it, you know, I'm like, ah, oh, that probably wasn't good for, <laughs> but, this, but this is a very interesting conversation. Okay. Like this is a, like we can go into a little bit of a different place here. Um, let's talk about dynamics for a second. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about, um, playing the drums, which is a, a very physical, um, uh, instrument that can be very loud. Uh, it can be very damaging, uh, as well. Mm-hmm. It could also be very beautiful. And when you, know, you pull out certain tones out of a drum, there ain't nothing yeah. like it. Now, yeah. this is what I've learned, at least. Um, and now, like, again, I, I think I spoke about this before. Like, once you see it, you can't unsee it. Um, mm-hmm. if, I, if my ears are hurting when I'm hitting the drums, it's an instant indication, right, to back back off now the the amount of power that a drummer has in any musical situation you you can't even there are no words to describe it i mean it's it's uh you know we as drummers in in a musical situation we can kind of we can steer things uh dynamically dynamically especially but but, you know uh, we can take things to you know, you can change up a rhythm or whatever, or um, change the color, the, the the vibe. You go to a ride symbol, or you start going to a floor tom, and whatever the case is, right? Um, for me, at least, I know that if I'm hurting, I and the guitar is wailing, wailing, wailing. Eventually, if I keep, if I if I just bring that shit down and keep bringing it down, eventually people on the bandstand are going to start to figure it out. And if they don't, uh, it starts to sound very weird. <laughs> do, 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 do you know what I mean? So like, I, yeah. I, um, I, I just, I, I, I find it interesting just talking about dynamics. It just sort of inspired me because we do have the power to save our ears, but we also have the power to create a very musical situation that is as intense as something that is loud. It can be super intense but it, it can it can be here whereas instead of there it can still happen yeah. it can still happen in there and we have right. the power to, to to guide that ship a lot of the time yeah am i talking you're out my ass right, right. Now? okay no not at all not at all you're you're absolutely right um and and we do we do have that power um sometimes my counterpoint <laughs> to that is uh sometimes that that option and that power is just sort of taken out of our hands. And I'm, yeah. I'm reminded of um, uh, a few years ago before the pandemic, I was, I was playing quite a bit with a band called Delta Moon out of Atlanta. Um, it was like a, you know, slide guitar uh, blues roots thing. Yeah. And we were doing it. We were doing a gig um, at a brewery. It wasn't like a big deal, but we were doing sound check. And for whatever reason, I got it in my head that day that I was like, I'm, I'm just going to chill on this gig. Like I'm, <laughs> Like, like you said, I'm going to dial it back. I'm going to kind of like let the mics do some of the work, you know? Yeah. So, so we got, you know, 
not even one song into soundcheck and tom the lead singer turned around and he was like could you hit the fucking snare drum please <laughs> like he just it wasn't it wasn't necessarily about volume it was about energy it was about sort of that. the intensity of you know the the um he he just needed more support he needed more energetic support from behind him yeah. and my my objective to just like chill out and kind of steer the dynamics and whatever was yeah fuck that Hit the goddamn snare drum. <laughs> <Out the window. laughs> I, I get it, Zach. I mean, you know, I'm talking about sort of situations that um, that might be in our control, but there are many situations that maybe are not necessarily in our control, or or we have to play nice, or we have to um, uh, compromise, and and I, and I think that's a huge right. part part of it as well. But I guess what I'm trying to say is, um, intensity doesn't always equal loud. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think there's a lot to be discovered. I mean, you know, we talked about Garibaldi um, the, la the in our last last session, and mm -hmm. I remember I remember when I actually saw him live, uh, heard him live. I remember uh, going, "What the? He's not even. He's barely hitting these things." But is the shit ever popping? It was just yeah. like, <laughs> but. All the shots yeah. are there, but he's this there yeah. was like, but it's all there. And I yeah. thought, oh my god, Steve Gadd. Like we talked about him, another one, like beautiful touch, played very quietly. I had the exact same experience the first time I saw Bernard Purdy play. Crazy, just, right? Yeah, just huge, huge sounds with seemingly minimal effort. Um, uh, and it's, I, you know, it's part of that journey of like mixing yourself and figuring out what your sound is and sure. developing a partnership with the drums and just, um, you know, the, ex the, the more experience you get, I think the more, um, you're, you're able to sort of get your sound, whatever that is well, exactly. with less and less effort. Well, like somebody like Travis Barker, for instance, I mean, you look at him, he's, you know, besides the fact that he physically looks like he's you know, Cirque du Soleil, the drums, you know, he's, <laughs> yeah. you know, like he's, he's, he's putting out so much energy and he's hitting those things and he's getting yeah. a, a sound that, 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 that matches whatever musical context he's in and it, and it, it, it he wins, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. it, 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 and it's, 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 do you know what I mean? It's, it's, um, uh, it's authentic to him and it works. And, and so, uh, I guess maybe I'm just talking about the stuff that, that, uh, that I've at least experienced when it's sometimes if I overhit, I, I, I feel like right. it's the, the law of diminishing returns again. Like, like oh, that, that, that didn't sound good actually. Like, you know, I could still get enough, enough of a tone if I just maybe dial it back a bit, but anyway, it's like, yeah. it's like a, 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 you know, some rabbit hole talk, you know, for sure. You know, there's definitely a ceiling on force, whether it's a drum or a cymbal, like hitting something harder is, not necessarily going to get you more volume at a certain point. It's going to exactly. get you a different tone. And a lot of times that tone is like not desirable. So it's about kind of finding that threshold. Whereas it, it's like, okay, where, where is the ceiling of force for this particular instrument? Totally. And, and how does this, and how does it actually uh, blend in with the musical context that I'm in? You know, we've all been there, right? Where, where you're playing and then you go, <laughs> You hit the symbol. You might miss hit it, or you or, or not, or and, it, and the symbol just goes, bah, you know, and and but yeah. everything else is good. You go, sorry, 
<laughs> so you like 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 you try you, you want to choke the symbol because it's like ah you know yeah. we've all we've yeah. all been there we've all been there right you, know? you, you accidentally hit a rim shot like you've you've hit you know thirty seven nice warm round backbeats in a row and then you just get that one fucking rim shot <laughs> we've all been there make me wanna holler the way they do my life so yesterday i uh i listened to um the the molly johnson record that you did uh i've been meaning to tell you um and uh it it's just so good um and i want to talk to you about the process of making that record because larry klein produced it um you know he's he's just got a, a producing and performing resume a mile long, full of names like Joni Mitchell and Herbie Hancock, et cetera. Um, so it's just it's such a cool record. It's a it's such a soulful record. The drum tones are just great. Uh, the, the the whole band is just killing. Um, so I just you know am curious to hear whatever you feel like talking about <laughs> in terms of the process of making that record. Yeah. Well, Molly and I have known each other a long, long time. And uh, so we've, yeah, there's a real difference when you're walking into a recording situation and you don't really know the artist that well, or or you maybe only worked with them a handful of times, as opposed to someone that you've known maybe for, you know, a couple of decades. Uh, And in our case, that was this, that was sort of, uh, was the reality. And, and so, um, she came over. She said, "You know, I want to. I want to do some co-writing." And I was like, "Okay, great." And I had some ideas. And uh, she came over, and, and we were kind of chatting. And I, and she's, she's like, "I'm still trying to figure out what kind of record I want to make because she had made the, the record she had made previous to this one. That one, I should say, was a a, a, a Billy um, a, a Billy Billy Holiday." Uh, tribute record basically um mm-hmm. um because of billy is what it's called i think it was a wonderful record uh, but it was sort of along the lines of jazz and she had done sort of even previous to that record she had done some jazz records so fast forward to this and one you had you had played on those records as uh, well i only played on i played on her first one and then mm-hmm. um and then i started working with some other people and then she started using uh, another band, but I, I played on her Got first it. first solo record uh, over 20 years ago. And we'd always had a, a connection, and every now and then we play together. And then we started sort of working together more often in the last uh, decade. But um, so, in addition know, to drumming on this record, like you you co-wrote some of these songs. You had he, a hand in. Yes, yes, um, two songs. I, I co-wrote a song called Protest Song and uh, another song was called gone gone mm-hmm. um and anyway uh, uh when we were sort of speaking about the direction of the record i i kind of said like you know molly like you thought of maybe doing a a soul like a soul record you know because she's got this amazing voice man like what you yeah. hear is what you get it's yeah it's she's got an incredible instrument in her voice really yeah. and 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 Zach, like when I say effortless, she just walks up to the mic and she goes, bad, 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 bad. And it's like, it's, I'm like, I'm going, what, <laughs> what, right. how, did, how did you do that? Like there's, 
There's no vocal warm-up. There's nothing. She just sort of approaches the mic, and the tone is there. It's it's yeah undeniable, and it's incredible. And Larry, you know, fell in love with her. Like he, you know, he's he's known about her for quite some time, and so their relationship sort of uh, ensued sort of soon thereafter. Uh, it was a connection through the record company, I believe. Um, and uh, and that that's how it sort of started. It, it happened pretty quickly, to be honest with you. So uh, there was a, a bunch of co-writes. Um, Larry, I think, wrote co-wrote a song with her as well. Uh, the bass player Mike Downs co-wrote uh, one one or two songs. I can't I can't remember. Um, uh, I brought in um, a dear friend of mine, Justin Abbott, who's a really amazing musician, uh, guitarist, um, because she didn't have any sort of guitarists and, and uh, she wanted somebody sort of soulful, funky. And he came in and, and uh, mm-hmm. we, we recorded, I think we did the record in three days, two days. Not, it didn't take as long. Mm-hmm. And, we, and we recorded at a place called Orange Studios in Toronto, downtown Toronto. We met Larry. We met Larry. We had a little bit of a rehearsal, but more of a meeting, and yeah. then we and then we we hit the ground running. It was it happened very fast, very quickly. Uh, wow. I used I used my old Gretsch drums for that recording. Like I had my old Walnut seventies Gretsch set. Huh. Those you know? are cool. Yeah. I played a I played a church gig in Atlanta. Um, uh, occasionally, sort of, uh, and their their house kit. It took me a while to figure out what the fuck it was, but it was one of those old '70s Gretsch Walnut stop yeah. sign badge. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, those are great, great drums. Yeah, they have a thing. They have a thing, and, yeah. and um, I mean, let, maybe we can talk about working with Larry. Like Larry was, you know, yeah. I, was, I was obviously intimidated, but I, I remember going in and thinking, okay, I can think about his resume. I can sort of have that in the forefront, or I can maybe tuck that in the back, and and feel at ease with the person that I'm working with. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it was very important for me to be, you know, talk about being present. It was very important to be super present. Uh, I remember, a, you know, all of what happened, what went down. Like, I really do remember very specific moments and, uh, uh, and just the general feeling of the recording experience. He was very supportive. Um, you know, he, he would have ideas but he also let things happen as well. Mm-hmm. And it was a real lesson in, you know, not having somebody micromanage because when, when you're in a creative environment and you're recording specifically, we're talking about this particular recording or any recording for that matter. Um, there needs to be some space in the mind, in the heart, uh, for you to actually be able to connect with an idea, uh, especially mm-hmm. if you're if you're working with other musicians as well. So, in my humble opinion, a great producer recognizes that, and a great producer would 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 uh, kind of go, okay, um, this idea is going nowhere. Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, we're 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 chasing our tails. Let's mm-hmm. let's let's uh, uh, bring this back. Um, let's try a little bit of a different approach um, instead of. You know, and this has happened where, um, okay, uh, uh, rolling, you know, oh, uh, Davide, you know, so like now, now you're in, you're in rolling mode, uh, Davide, hey, listen, um, on the chorus, uh, can, can you just, can you just remember to go to the ride symbol, okay? No problem. Okay. 
Oh, uh, and uh, David, it's like, um, um, don't 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 forget that there's that fill at, at the end of the verse going into the the chorus, right? You remember the the you know? Do you know what I mean? Like this yes. is this is stuff that you experience over the years, and you go, you kind of almost think that that's normal for the first little while, and then you start working with people like other people, like people like Larry Klein or something, where they they go, okay. Let's 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 hit yeah. a couple of takes and and he creates a nice environment. It's comfy, and you start getting into the vibe. And before you know it, you don't even know that he's there. Right. Uh, it, it, right. You know what I'm saying? It's like it's Jedi. Yep. It's it's Jedi material almost. You know, like uh, I think T Bone is like that as well. I've never worked with T Bone, mm-hmm. but I've heard stories about him and how he guides the ship. But he's but he's not yelling orders. <laughs> Right, right. And I mean, what you're talking about, in part at least, I think, is is leaving room, leaving space for creative possibility and, and creative freedom um, and not being uh, too rigidly attached to um, a sort of prescribed idea of what a song or a drum part needs to be. Um, yeah, hundred uh, percent. However, you know, again, it depends on the situation. I mean, I, I just recently did a recording, uh, two or three days ago. Did a couple of days back to back, and the first couple of tunes, it was like um, the the grooves weren't realized. So I I had the chance to like uh, uh, build build this groove. Like I had like you know jingles on my floor, Tom, and I I, I had I had you know, prepared drum set, basically. Like I had all this ch- shit everywhere. And, but I was, com- <laughs> I was, I was coming up with, like, you know, I had to coming up with these sounds and tones and, and a groove that was starting to sort of happen and everybody was starting to get into it. And it was like, okay. And we record, cut it. It didn't really take long. Same next song was kind of the same. Like I, I was sort of very uh, instrumental in the, uh, in, in, in sort of the the initial building blocks of 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 the rhythm and the and the sound and the groove and all that kind of stuff. Then the following day there was, um, you know, uh, the producer said, um, "Did you did you check out the demo?" And I went, uh, "Well, not 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 this one. Can can we listen to it?" And then I right. This is what you learn after years of doing this. I listened to the demo mm-hmm. and I went, I, and instantly my brain was like. They like the demo. They they like this groove. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and so and so again, you're being hired, right, Zach? It's not like yeah. it's it's funny. Your initial reaction is like you want to stand up and go. Well, I thought you you said you hired me because of what it is that I do, and and right because of my voice and stuff. Yeah, you're <laughs> you're you're you you bought my you're hiring my floor tom jingles. Don't you want my fucking floor tom jingles? <laughs> it's true. <laughs> you know. Um, but you really have to swallow your pride and, 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 and also be very aware of what's being communicated to you. Yeah. So if someone, if someone says, Hey, did you check out the demo? They're really saying, I really love the drum groove on this demo. Can you mimic right. it or can you play it in that same sort of, uh, you know, style or whatever, or can you cop right. it 100%? You know, it, it all, it always, depends on whatever kind of situation you're in yeah i mean there are those those situations where you have to just like hit a very specific target 
and just get it done and send it off. Um, but even when you don't like you, <laughs> you, you sort of recreated that scenario where it's like, you know, you're, you're rolling and then the, the producer is in your ear about, remember this, don't forget that. Yeah. And I think if, you know, even if we don't have someone else doing that to us, I think we tend to do that to ourselves. Like if I'm just recording in my little studio at home and I'm about to hit record, like I, I almost can't help, but go through that little, like, remember this, forget that. Yeah. 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 Um, and yeah. I, I think <laughs> the, the, the less we can do that to ourselves, uh, the, the better. Uh, um, I'm, I'm sure we touched on this the last time we spoke to Zach. I think that uh, you nailed it, man. Like big time. I, it's, it's the, it's the noise, right? Like mm-hmm. there's, there's, you know, I I uh, I want to compare it to golf for a quick quick second because <laughs> because golf golf is 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 it's it's a lot of it is here, a yeah. lot of it is there and and I can I compare it to playing music too. It's like you you can really um, limit yourself in such a mm-hmm. huge way and if you if you try and just let all that go. It's a, it's amazing what kind of results happen. Yeah, it, it's a lot harder. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a lot more difficult than than, than 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 how I'm sort of expressing it. But but it is possible. You know. Yeah, yeah. definitely is possible. It's it's easy. It's so easy to overthink and to overplay and to over orchestrate and to you know like like you said you had just shit all over the drum set. <laughs> well. Uh, I- yeah, because I felt like I was in the moment. I was right. so. It went, just to give you a, sort of a more of a, a detailed experience, and what happened? Like uh, they were, they were kind of. Uh, we were all in the same room, and uh, headphones off and everything. And I, and I was, I was uh, vibing on what I was hearing, and and, and that's being in the moment. And mm-hmm. I was just, I was discovering things. There were, there were moments where I went, nope, that's not gonna work. You know, uh, mm-hmm. what if I did this? What if I did that? What that? And some really cool things happened um, because it was unaffected. Like the experience was unaffected. It was au naturel. It was, there was space. <laughs> right. Right. You know, well, I guess that's, that's sort of the, uh, the opposite end of the spectrum from being super rigid about the, the drum part. Don't forget this. Remember that, you know, if you go to the other extreme where you just have complete freedom, uh, it's, it's, it's easy to overcook the stew or, or whatever, <laughs> whatever analogy you want to use. Well, sure. And, and I, again, these, these are all experiences that we've had where, um, it's not to say that it's always going to work, right? Those, those, right. those moments are sometimes they're like, you know what? It, no, I, I'm, I'm thinking just like, keep it really simple. I just want to feel the pocket, you know, or, or I don't want to hear any symbols or can you just stay on the toms or, or, or whatever? Like there, there've been so many different sort of experiences over the years that are, are, are flooding like my brain, you yeah. know? Um, yeah. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, like I said, is, is it's very important just to be aware and, and, you know, to try to keep your ego in check. It's very difficult because yeah, because sometimes you sometimes you might think you know what's best for the song, like you you might be so invested in the song and you're like oh that 
you, I should be laying out on this course. It's, it's a breakdown course. It's clearly a break or whatever. Um, or they want you to break down the course. You're like, no, this is what it's it's supposed to be like the apex of the spot, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you got it. Sometimes you have to, like, I think it's important to express things sometime. Like if you feel very strongly, you're in a situation, you can, can I, do you mind if, can we try, do you mind if, you know, uh, it's all about the approach being respectful, but also at the end of the day, being aware that what it is that they want, whoever it is that might be hiring you or what, what they think might be best for the song is not necessarily what you might think is best for the song. And so that's when you kind of, submit to it and and and, yes. and 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 still and still give it everything you have right so you don't sit there and go <laughs> you know like you give it everything you have yeah yeah i think the like submitting to it is a is a good concept because in in an you know in the recording environment in a collaborative space like that especially if you know you're just being hired if you know if the music isn't your baby in some way um, you have to relinquish some control. You have to just uh, uh, acquiesce to the idea that, um, you know, the final result of this song is not going to be 100% what you would make it. Like, <laughs> you, you know, know it's going to be it's going to be short of your ideal version that are informed by your opinions and your experience and everything. And if you if you like, you said can submit to that and, and can just submit to the process. Um, I think if you submit to the process, the result becomes less important. Well, I I think there's also something to be learned about submitting sometime too, right? Zach, like sometimes, sometimes, um, not sometimes a lot of the time. I I, I think, I don't think I, I can ever say that I've walked out of a recording situation for specifically talking about recording where I go, I didn't learn anything today. You, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly learning. I, I, I constantly. So uh, somebody might say, um, "Listen, can you play this this drum groove?" You know, and you're like, "What? Like that? Doesn't make any sense. Like that doesn't doesn't that doesn't jive with the with the song. I don't get it. Like, yeah, okay. And then it might be a groove that you've never even thought of before. And before you know it, you start playing the groove, and it starts to become part of your you know, your physical uh, output as well. So it, it starts to become, it starts to almost become natural. And before you know it, you're like, holy shit, this is actually feeling kind of good. Oh, I'm starting yeah. to get it. I, I, I kind of get it. Or like you, you try and turn it into a positive situation. Sometimes mm-hmm. it, sometimes you might end up playing it and you go, all right, well, I did it. I did the best possible job I could to uh, appease um, the person that's paying me. You know, yeah. uh, you know, which is very important to realize. And these are very important lessons, Zach, you know, where. Yeah. And trust me, I've been in recording situations where people blow up and they go, what are you, ta- what are you talking about? That's I'm not going to do that. Yeah. I'm not going to I'm not going to put distortion on. No, like, uh, no. <laughs> and and uh, what does that do? Right. That just creates. Right. Everybody's backs. They're up against the wall instead of saying, hey, all right, let's try it. Yeah. Totally. I mean, there's a real difference. By yeah. or by saying, "All right, sure, yeah." Like yep. sarcasm. And it took me, it it took me longer than I care to admit to to get good at saying, "Okay, let's try it." 
with with no with, without there being a tone to it, you know, because <laughs> like the the first step is learning not to say no, right? The first step is is uh, being mature and collaborative enough to like when somebody suggests something that you know is not going to work or that you just disagree with immediately. The first step is just learning how to not say no. That's not going to work. No, like why? No, like right. So then that like that's the first step. The second step is being able to say, okay, let's try it and and really mean it, right? Because <laughs> you could say. You could say, oh, okay, let's try it. Or you could say, all right, let's try it. <laughs> your, tone, your tone instantly, right there, yeah. your tone made, yeah. made me go, oh, shit, Zach is out of, he's out of the game. He's, right. And, 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 and he's, he's, he's upset. He's, you know, like, <laughs> uh, like his, his ego's a little bruised. No, trust me, man. And, and like, I'm sorry. I, um, I don't really know. Maybe maybe there are some perfect people out there that have always been like, yeah, all right, like Oakley Doakley, let's do it, man. This is great, hey neighbor, like yeah, uh, right. let's make this, let's, <laughs> let's 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 make some great music, and I love your idea. Um, right. And then I'm realizing an, another step beyond that. I I talked to uh, Terrence Clark about six weeks ago, um, and he talked about um, like. If when when they're trying something, he he plays with Keith Urban, um, and uh, you know when they're trying something out, whether it's for their live show or the um, uh, you know in the recording studio, Terrence talked about like okay if if we're gonna try something, whether I agree with it or not, I have to try the fuck out of it because if I don't try the fuck out of it, we're not gonna know whether or not it really works, right? Exactly, exactly. Like That's- if I if if. If my yeah. if if I'm willing to try it, but I kind of half-ass it, that doesn't give the idea a fair shot. So he he talked about you know being being open to it, not shutting down immediately, um, being genuinely open to it, but then uh, making the effort to give the idea a you know an honest representation. Oh man, that's huge. Yeah, uh, we yeah. talked about it earlier. It's it's exactly it. It's like. Yeah, I'm going to give it everything I have. Uh, I'm going to give mm-hmm. this 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 uh, idea everything I have. And again, even though it, in the back of your mind, your voice is saying, "Ain't going to work. Ain't going to work. Ain't going to work." <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, um, chances are, uh, you know, it, 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 it. Who knows? It it, it might be the the take, right? Like it's. Yeah. yeah. You never, you never, ever come out not learning something. There's always something you learn. I, I mean, again. It's always an education, man. Always, yeah. much like this, much like what, this conversation. <laughs> were there were there any big lessons you took away from your your session with Larry and uh, Molly? Not anything specifically, to be honest with you. I think, uh, you know, I, I had already touched on it. To be honest, I just I love the way Larry just let things happen. Like I have this memory of uh, we were doing this tune that I'd co-written, and. I remember I, I remember sitting in the back of the control room, and uh, I think Justin was was putting laying down a guitar, the guitar part or whatever. And um, uh, Larry at one point turned around, looked at me, and said, um, "Is that okay, Davide? Like, is that is that okay? That uh, is this part okay?" And I'm going, "Oh my God, Larry Klein's asking me <laughs> if, <laughs> if this part if this part's okay." And I'm going, "Yes." 
yeah. It's, part of it. it's like it was, it was a little surreal, right? It was a surreal moment. Yeah. But but I guess what I'm trying to get at is 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 he was very inclusive. He wasn't. Uh, that was one of the things that I took out of, from from the experience was he never got in the way of the band. That's the way the band sounds actually. Like what mm-hmm. you hear on that record is how the band sounds live. Yeah. So yeah. he really did. He really did capture the vibe of the band. And that's something that I definitely, I, 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 I learned. And, and, and the fact that he was very inclusive and you, you never felt like he was um, dictating, you know, it was, right. uh, it was more, um, how do you feel about that? Um, and especially, you know, the the fact that that song was one one that you had co-written. Like, I think, you know, Larry had the wherewithal to to know that, like, this this song is his baby. Let's, you know, I, I, this isn't my song. This is his song. Let's so let's ask him if the guitar part. <laughs> but that's but that's not always the way producers, and, and especially in his generation, producers right. a, a lot of the times di- dictated. You know, like yeah. these are the stories that you heard. I don't think I experienced a, a, a lot of these producers that would just basically come in and. Well, this is what you do, and this is what you do, and this is what you do, and I sure. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sure some of the results were really, really great too. But that wasn't the case. Right. Where... I mean, yeah, the, and the, the role of producer, I think, uh, you know, can be um, inflated maybe uh, to you know being an impresario and and taking an artist and taking some material and hammering it into their vision and like you said a lot of times their vision is amazing and it comes out like holy shit that's (laughs) but it is a more is a more dictatorial less collaborative uh dynamic well it still feels like a larry klein produced record but it also still feels like a molly johnson band uh you can still you can still hear the hear the band in there as well so i mean if there was something that i took from that that was it you know that was definitely I mean, among many other things, but but something that's really stuck in my mind for sure. Like that's definitely it. Like he he really let things flow. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Your you know your your foremost memories or your foremost sentiments about that session were you know they they weren't about technical aspects or even the nuts and bolts of the music. It was about how that session felt. One hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, hundred percent. That that to me was 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 definitely a, a vivid memory. In fact, you know, I, I went to Los Angeles a couple of years after, and I contacted Larry, and he said, "Come over, we'll hang out. You know, let's talk about songwriting. Let's talk talk about what you're up to, what what's going on." And um, what a what a wonderful human being, a, a wonderful man indeed. Uh, yeah, grateful that I had that experience with him. Yeah. Well, I'm grateful we got to have this experience again, man. It was great to see you again and great to talk with you again. I knew I, I knew we'd be getting into some shit about <laughs> about the actual drums. <laughs> uh, an, an honor, an honor, my brother. And and uh, I guess I'll see you in another three weeks. Uh, will you? <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. no I'm, just, I'm just saying. You I, had me freaked art, out for a second. Art, I was like, "Is the tour three. going back to Toronto? What the fuck?" Oh, no, you, you can come over, <laughs> come and visit anytime, and you're always welcome here. That's for sure. And, and uh, thanks, man. Th- and thanks and for having. Ditto me. if you're ever in Atlanta. Right on. Great to see you, man. Be well. You as well. Take care, brother. There you go. Thanks again to Dabby Day for that talk. Really dig hearing from him. 
Next week, Matt Krause will be talking with Matt Eisman, who was an early guest on the podcast. He now tours with Grammy-nominated singer David Nail, so we're looking forward to getting caught up about that and much more. Hope you check that out. Until then, stay safe, stay sane, play pretty, and thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.